going to send out an invite to a Bible reading plan where we're going to read the whole Bible through in the entire year. You get a little Old Testament, a little New Testament, a little Psalms, and a proverb every single day all year. It's really cool. Uh, shout out if you're joining me on this year, if you're doing that with me this year. Shout it out. So yeah, there's several of you that are, that are doing that. I see comments on there. So uh, that's what we're wanting to do next year. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. We read this last week, and I'm going to come back in and focus really on verse 11. But let's read this together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For he saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. From you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. So let me just stop right here for just a second before you're seated. Notice in this passage, he's always referred to as a child. When the wise man got to Jesus where he was, he was no longer a baby in a manger. He was a child in a house. Secondly, notice that when they come there, they... They are having to have someone else speak to them in the place uh, for God. In other words, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They're having to hear from somebody else. But watch what happens when they worship. After hearing the king, they went on their way in verse 9, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child, again, the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceeding with great joy. They had Christmas cheer. And after they came into the house, notice not manger, notice not barn, but house, they saw the child again. It wasn't, Jesus has grown by now. And saw the child with his mother Mary, and watch this, they fell down and worshipped him. Worship means crouch down like a dog and show reverence, bow before him basically. They opened their treasures, and we're going to talk about this today, and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now watch this. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left to their own country by another way. last thing I'll say about this is when they came to Jerusalem, they had to ask, and they had to have someone interpret or speak for God for them. But after they worshiped Jesus and gave their treasures and their best, they heard from God themselves. They didn't need an interpreter. They didn't need a spokesperson. When they worshiped and they gave their best, they heard directly from God themselves. That's a powerful, powerful little nugget right there. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for the joy and the Christmas joy in the Christmas season. God, we dare not forget that the Christmas season is not about exchanging gifts or even spending time with family. It is first and foremost a remembrance that you came to this earth to die for us. We thank you, Jesus. And we, we bow down and worship before you, God. 
We give our treasures and our best to you. And I ask God you to anoint me. You know I need it today. I pray you'd anoint me to speak through me, God. Not one word of my own, but every word from the throne of God into our hearts. Let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. A little boy breathlessly ran into the kitchen holding a box. And panting in breath, he told his mom, Mom, we better tell Santa Claus to stop that order that train said I wanted. He said, because I found one at the top of Dad's closet. There are four stages in the life of a man. He believes in Santa Claus. He doesn't believe in Santa Claus. He is Santa Claus. And like Sonny, he looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> I got a question for you. What are you giving Jesus this Christmas season for his birthday? Have you ever thought about what were you going to do, what he might like? Little Bobby was a special education boy. He was just bright enough to be in the normal classes at school, but he was very different than the rest of the children in the class. Very noticeably different. He was the constant butt of jokes by the other classmates, but he didn't seem to mind too much. His mother, every day, would look out the window in the neighborhood as they walked home from school and all the neighborhood kids would be together laughing and joking and having a good time. And about a half a block behind them, here come Bobby all by himself with his head down. He was crushing to his mom. They just were uncomfortable around Bobby. They shunned him. One day, Bobby burst into the kitchen after school and he said, Guess what, Mom? He said, The teacher said we can make Valentine's for all the classmates and hand them out. And Valentine's Day is in two weeks. Well, his mom hearing this just thought, man, I, what am I going to do? Holding back the tears. Nobody's going to give my son a valentine. His heart's going to be broken again. Here we go again. Will this ever end kind of a thing? She said, well, Bobby, that's very nice. Over the next two weeks, Bobby worked feverishly after school on these valentines. I mean, they were labors of love. He'd gotten one for every classmate. He was so excited about it that that morning he couldn't eat breakfast, but yet he was a little worried. As he dashed out the door, he said, I hope I didn't forget anybody. Well, Bobby's mom was expecting the worst that day. She made him a fresh batch of cookies, his favorite one. She's kind of been wrestling with her own emotions all day long. She sat there with the weight of the world on her. She looked out the window at the normal time. Here come all the kids. Neighborhood kids coming down, they're laughing, they're joking, they're holding all their valentines. Sure enough, Bobby's a half a block behind them, nothing in his hands. She turns away, holding back the tears. She, she gets the cookies ready. I mean, she's just ready to try to console him and really herself more than him. 
But that afternoon was different. Bobby came in there, and he had a big smile on his face. She looked puzzled, and she said, Bobby, what, what's going on? She said, Bobby, how did it go? With a shout of pure joy, Bobby had these words to say. Guess what, Mom? I didn't forget a single person. Bobby was so focused on giving that it never crossed his mind that he would never receive. He was so overwhelmed with joy at the thought that he didn't forget not one classmate. And for two weeks, he'd worked diligently to give to them that he had never considered the response that he would never get back in return. So concerned about others that he was blind to being slighted. I've got a question for you this Christmas season. Are you so focused on God, on his kingdom, on his work, and other people that you haven't considered the fact of what you might receive this Christmas season? Because sometimes our motives are to make people think we're wonderful or to prompt other people to give to us. But that's not the way of Christ. And the, the wise men teach us the greatest thing we can give is point number one, give Jesus yourself. Poke your neighbor and say, give Jesus yourself. I'll say it better than that. Come on, say, give Jesus yourself. The wise men fell down and they worshipped him. Before the wise men gave anything that they had, they gave themselves. The greatest thing we can ever give the kingdom of God, the greatest thing we can ever give Jesus Christ, the greatest thing we can ever give to this world is our lives to Jesus to say, here I am, I'm all yours. Someone shout amen. amen. Woo! They, they got down before a child. We don't know how old the child was, but they got down before Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, if you, were here, you weren't here last week, you need to look up the message and watch it because I talk about it at length. But here were the scientific wise men of the day. They were extremely famous. They were filthy rich. They were the who's who of society, and they get down on their knees like a dog. They crouch down with their head to the ground to worship before a little child. That's amazing to me. Have you ever seen a dog cower down? You know, last week, we, I've never seen Caitlin's dog do it, but I came in the door, and we had had some, some leftovers we had brought uh, and there were some biscuits and some gravy up on the counter. And I come in, and that dog's got his paws up there, and he's got his head as far as he can do, and he's licking the gravy out of the thing. And I come in, I thought, this dog's going to die. He ate my gravy. And I went, oh! And he knew, man, his tail went between his legs and his eyes got big. He put his head down like a little child and he tried to run around the island. So I ran over here and I went, what did you do? And he ran this way and I got over here and I said, you bad boy. And he ran over here and I got right and I said, bad boy. The dog literally cowered down, got on his back, put his paws up and put his head to the side. He was letting me know. He knew he was in trouble when I was the boss. I thought, well, you might live another day for that response. Amen. <laughs> That's essentially what the who's who in the world did to Jesus. A little child, they cowered down and they said, this is all about you. 
That would be like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Vladimir Putin coming down and laying down themselves at the feet of a child. Can you imagine what the world news would think of that? That's essentially what they did. This was the usual way of showing homage and respect among the Jews. Well, one of the ways that we show honor and respect to God today is obeying His commandments. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit, going where He says go, doing what He says do. Being a part of what He says being a part of. Doing the things that He talked about in the Bible. One of the ways we honor is putting on Christian music in the car and worship music instead of the secular station and saying, God, I'm going to worship you on the way to work today. Another way we honor God and show respect is by showing kindness when someone has said or done something wrong to us. Acting out in love. Showing a, showing a person kindness and love and erring on the side of mercy. Someone say amen. So after they gave Jesus themselves and they bowed before them. And by the way, I believe with all my heart and all my soul you will see these magi in heaven. I really believe they got saved. Somehow or another, I, I believe it. They opened their treasures and their wealth, those things that were precious to them. Let me ask you this. What are you opening up to Jesus this Christmas season? Your heart? Your will? Your desires? Your checkbook? Your talents? What's precious to you is your treasure, and that may be something different than me. But are you giving God your treasure? Something that you hold deeply valuable. Not just yourself, but what you have to offer. See, they presented him not just themselves, but they presented him as their gifts, presents, or sacrifices. Did you know there's prophecies about them in the Old Testament? Isaiah 60 and 6 says, A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Epah and those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Psalm 72 and 10 says, May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring unto him gifts. They presented him gifts as king of the Jews, really as their king. Man, glory to God. How many of you want to show Jesus that he is the king of your life? Hallelujah. It was customary in the East at this time to show respect for a person of distinction by making these kind of presents and these kind of offerings to someone of this kind. They had traveled eight to 900 miles over months of rugged terrain in a desert with robbers out there and all kinds of stuff, the elements, the issues, everything that you can imagine. I mean, before there was the show Survivor, they had the real deal Survivor. They were way more than 39 days. They were months, some theologians say, maybe even years in getting to them. Eight to 900 miles. Why? They didn't come eight to 900 miles to get something from him. They didn't come eight to 900 miles on camel, sometimes on foot, not by car, train, or airplane, in the elements and all that to get something from God, to give him a wish list. They came to give themselves and give their treasures. Wow. What about us? Reminds me of the rich young ruler in the Bible. The Bible says Matthew 19, 16 through 21. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who's good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? 
Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus dealt, first of all, with his human relationships. And then Jesus says, well, you checked that list off, but now let's deal with our relationship with God. He says, if you wish to be complete, complete here means brought to an end, wanting nothing or necessary for completeness. Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Sell what you have and give to the poor. Now this, when I, when I used to read this passage, when I was younger in the Lord, I thought, man, God, that's kind of harsh. You told the man, give away everything. What's he supposed to live on? I mean, Simon Peter had a house. Simon Peter had a wife and a family. He had a business. Man, you didn't tell him to give everything away. Why did you tell this guy to give it all away? What's the deal here? What's going on? What he's saying is withhold nothing from Jesus. If there's anything more important to you than Jesus, then it's got to go. And that's what he's saying. Is there anything more important than Jesus to you? The disciples, again, had things. But remember, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? And follow me. Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus was not trying to take something from him. And I'm going to prove that to you here in a moment. I understand the passage better than I ever have. But the preacher preached on getting, giving to God in an affluent church. People came with large checks and they brought it and set it in the offering plate. People brought wads of cash and all kinds of items and they dropped it in the offering plate. And this little poor boy came up and he asked the usher for the, for the plate. Well, the usher's thinking, I don't know about this, a lot of money in here. But he reluctantly gave it to him. To which the kid set down the offering plate, placed both his feet inside and said, God, I give you myself because it's all I got to give. And that's all that Jesus wants. He just wants you. He wants you in spite of all the ugly things you've done. Oh, yeah, I know some of you looking around here like you got halos over your head, but I see some horns. <laughs> in spite of all the things you've thought, in spite of all the things you've done, in spite of all things you said, God says, I'll take them. When you were on the playground and everyone picked everybody but you, guess what? God picked you. <laughs> God will never leave you, never forsake you. You've never done so much wrong that he doesn't pick you. Someone say amen. amen. In Matthew 19, 22, the Bible says, When the young man heard that saying, to sell all that he had and give to the poor, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. I mean, he loved God. He kept the commandments. But the problem was he loved his riches and his treasures more, and Jesus knew it. But Jesus also knew, Matthew 6, that to seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things would be added. So what is Jesus trying to do? Jesus is recognizing, he's looking at the rich young ruler, and he's saying, I see a problem, and the problem is you have other gods before me. And he dealt with the first commandment that said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus wanted him to be willing to give it up. Are you willing to give up yourself? Are you willing to give up your rights, what you want in life? Are you willing to give up your own desires for him? Are you willing to go where he says go, to do what he says do, to say what he says say? 
to be where he says to be. Why do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus wasn't trying to take something from him? Because Jesus knew Proverbs 19, 17, and he should have too. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. If that rich young ruler had given everything he had to the poor, Jesus would have just gave it back plus interest. Jesus wasn't trying to ruin his life. Jesus was trying to say, is there anything more important in your life than me? Wow. You see, some people get up at three, four. I'm on metal for a little while, if that's all right. Some people get up at three, four, five in the morning on Black Friday to go buy somebody a gift that may not appreciate it five days later, might not even know you gave it to them five months later, but won't give to Jesus when he'll honor it five million years later. Show me a preacher who never exposes sin. Show me a preacher who never shows people the difference between the holy and the profane. Show me a preacher who doesn't never mention repentance and judgment and there's a real burning hell. And instead all they ever want to do is tell you how you're going to be rich tell you how you're going to be prosperous, and I'll tell you what you've got on your hands. You've got you somebody that has substituted the cross for cash. I read about a well-known prosperity preacher. Here's what he said. You've heard about the coming of Jesus. This is what a prosperity preacher said not too long ago. You've heard he can return at any time. I tell you that's impossible. He can't come until you're prospering, until you get your nice car, until you have your dream house. He simply can't come until then. I got news for you, Mr. Preacher. You are dead wrong. I've preached this gospel around the world, and I've seen a lot of poor people, that poor people in America would be rich like kings. I want to tell you something. Not everybody's going to have the riches in this life. Not everybody's going to have the fat padded house and the nicest car. That's just the reality of it. If you believe any other ways, I'm sorry as I can be. That's just the way that it is sometimes. Jesus said, the poor you will always have among you. I got a problem with prosperity preachers that want to tell you you're going to be rich and have all the nicest things. I want to tell you, that is not what the gospel is all about. At a prosperity conference, the theology stated was this, quote unquote, Find the most prosperous preacher you know and give him money and the blessings will flow into you. One preacher stood up and described his cars, his plane, his house, his diamonds. A dog he paid $15,000 for. He's bragging on it. And he declared, I'm going to build a house that Solomon would be proud of. Then when the people in my city see my mansion and my Rolls Royce, they'll know there's a God in heaven. Well, you know what? You can go see Bill Gates' house and his plane and all that, and I don't think it's making me say there's a God in heaven. I can go see a lot of wealthy people out there, and I can tell you it doesn't make me always say, well, there's a God in heaven. But I'll tell you what, when I sense the presence of God, and I see someone healed of cancer, and I see someone get out of wheelchairs and walk, and I see the dead rise, and I see people's lives changing by the glory of Almighty God, that's what makes me say there's a God in heaven. In this conference where this man said this, people walked up and stuffed money in his pocket while he was preaching. Others filed forward and laid money on the stage. Still others threw money toward him from the crowd. 
Others literally ran around the auditorium saying, run for the money. Run for the money. I've got a question. Could you see Jesus and the disciples doing that? Could you see the Apostle Paul who took 39 stripes on his body five times, beaten with rods three times, and all he went through, running into the church in Corinth and say, run for the money. Listen, that's not I die daily. That's not I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That is not what Jesus preached when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. I hope I'm bothering you. I want to tell you what, there's a greasy grace gospel going out there right now. And they'll try to make you think that you're going to become a millionaire and all this other stuff. I want to tell you, you know what we need to be? We need to be children of God and act like God. Someone say amen. I'm really bothered today in today's day and age at churches that once believed in sacrifice, once believed in self-denial, once believed in cross-bearing, are totally focused on self. Totally focused on material things. Totally focused on the good life, and but not the godly life. The holy life. I want to tell you, where's the preaching at Christmas time where people say, I, I think we ought to do like the wise men. We ought to give Jesus ourselves and give him what we have as a treasure. Someone say amen. Is this all right to preach this way? It's just burning on me. Man, I'm telling you, we need, we need to get rid of the lily limp preachers out there. We need to get some men and women of God to say, Hey, Paul said I die daily. Jesus said deny yourself. He said I'm crucified with Christ. He said, Here I am, Lord, I'm yours. In Amos' day, if you're reading Amos, listen, you've got to understand something about Amos. Amos, if you're in the Bible reading, you're in Amos right now. And Amos, he was a sheep herder in the south of Israel when northern Israel and southern Israel was split. He was a shepherd. He was a sycamore fig tree guy. And God called him to prophesy to the north. Now listen, you have to understand, everything you read in Amos is because he's prophesying, listen, in a time when northern Israel was very affluent, they had prosperity, they had the world by the tail. They were the United States of America for its day. Here comes the guy, the little old sheep herder from the south, speaking for God. And here's what he said. Because in Israel they were obsessed with money and materialism while the poor were despised. And anyone who wasn't successful was mocked. But here's what he said. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? In other words, when are we going to get church over with so we can go back to business? And when will the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? We're tired of God's rest. We don't want to worship in church. We want to go sell, sell, sell. We want to make money. Like Mr. Wonderful on the show, what makes me happy is tomorrow I wake up richer than I am today. That's what he said. Amos goes on to write, 
skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales. Not only do you not care about God and his church and, his, and obeying what he says, now you want to cheat everybody. Buying the poor with silver and the needy with a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jew, Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Our mindset cannot be about what we get in Christmas time or any other time of the year. Our mindset every day we wake up should be, God, I'm all yours. You're my everything. Look, I don't know about you. I, I don't every day have a particular hour, two hours that I set aside where I'm focused on nothing but prayer. But I will tell you what I do have. All day long, every day, God, Jesus, is weaved through my thought processes all day. If I'm on a lawnmower, I'm singing worship songs, I'm praying. If I'm in the car, I'm talking to God. When I'm mad, I'm talking to God. When I'm frustrated, I'm talking to God. When I'm hurt, I'm talking to God. He is weaved through every fiber of my being all day long. Someone say amen. Anybody that way? So it's, it's as if I'm kind of keeping the spirit of prayer all day long. I read about one prominent evangelist, this will make you sick, very prominent evangelist, who was selling healing for cancer for $1,000. Like it's Jeopardy. I'll take healing for cancer for 1000 Alex. He literally had a line and said, you get in this line, you write me a check for $1,000, I'll pray God will heal you of cancer. Oh, if all you got is 500, well, then I will pray for other maladies. But if you want healing from cancer, you're going to have to fork over a thousand bucks. I want to tell you something God will heal you for free. You don't have to pay nobody to get healed. You don't have to pay nobody to get prayed for. The blood of Jesus has already been shed. God has already paid the price. You don't have to pay somebody to be healed. You don't have to get in a $1,000 line, a $500 line, or any of that other garbage. I want to tell you what you need to do is be in a Bible-believing church like this. We'll lay hands. We'll pray. We'll believe God. God will heal you. Woo! Hallelujah. Not only do you want to give Jesus yourself, but number two, point number two, give Jesus your best gifts. Everybody say, my best gift. So they brought him gold. Gold represents kingship. It shows Jesus as king. It's prophetic in that it's showing that Jesus is going to reign. Somebody say, Jesus is reigning. <laughs> It shows his deity. It shows he's God. It was the most expensive metal of the day. It shows, hey, this child is ruler of the universe. Man, I love it. Man, the Bible echoes that. 1 Timothy 6, 15. Which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only, everybody shout, ruler. I love this. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. That means he's the big boss. That means what he says goes. That means we can count on his word. That means there's no higher. There's no greater. There's no better. He's the undefeated champion of the universe. Woo! Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the... 
ruler over the kings of the earth. Well, I love that. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I want to tell you, Vladimir Putin and Russia may think he's the big dog, but I know one bigger. <laughs> uh, there may be some Bill Gates out there that think they're the big dog, but I know someone bigger. There may be a lot out there that think they're somebody and they're a king, they're a queen, but I want to tell you something. I know one greater. I know one with a greater name, a greater testimony, and greater power. And his name is Jesus. Woo! And with Jesus on your side, there's no one greater. What could you ever face that he can't help you with? The wise men brought him gold. I have a question. What can you bring to Jesus? What's your best gift? How are you showing Jesus that he is the king in your life? One lady waited to the last minute to get Christmas cards. She ran into the grocery store. She bought a box of 50. She had 49 folks on her list. She never read the card. She signed them, addressed them, sent them out. Christmas Day showed up. All the presents got open. Things kind of settled down. She walked by. She had bought a box of 50 cards, but she had addressed and sent off 49. She saw the extra one laying there. She thought, well, I might ought to read this. She sat down to read the Christmas cards she had sent to 49 of her closest family and friends. And much to her dismay, the card read, this card is just to say a little gift is on the way. They want to read them cards. So they brought themselves, which is the greatest thing they could bring. But then they brought gold, representing his kingship and representing the most, the most expensive metal of the day. The second thing listed is frankincense. Everybody say frankincense. So gold represented his kingship or rulership. Frankincense represents his priesthood. It's used a hundred times in the Old Testament, and it's always, always associated with an offering to God. It's highly fragrant from Arabia. It was prophetic in nature, showing us that he will judge one day. It speaks also of his divinity, but it was the most expensive fragrance of their day. So they brought themselves, they brought the most expensive metal of the day, and they brought the most expensive fragrance of the day. Fragrant frankincense was an ingredient used by the priesthood in temple worship. It was an aroma, a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It would blend in with the smell of the sacrifice to cover the, the rotten stench of those animals in that blood. It represents that Jesus is our high priest that makes intercession for us. Boy, this is big right here. Hebrews 2.17 says it this way. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Everybody say merciful and faithful. If you want to know who God is, that's him. Merciful and faithful. When you're having a bad day, he's still what? Merciful and faithful. When you say things you ought not, he's still what? Merciful and faithful. When you haven't treated everybody like you should, he's still merciful and faithful. Woo! Somebody shout amen. amen. Then, because he's that way, he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great 
high priest who has ascended into heaven. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And the Bible says in Romans that he's ever living to make intercession for you and I right now. Somebody shout glory. Man, so many people have a mixed up view of God. They think he's a mean stepdad in the sky with a big old belt in his hand waiting for you to mess up so he can whip you good. My in-laws have a neighbor that was brought up in a Catholic school. And those nuns were so mean to him, they beat him. They indented the chalkboard with his head. They punched him. They were completely abusive to this man. Well, it's no wonder he has a demented view of God. Because the people in his life that were supposed to represent God were abusive. They beat him. They were mean to him. They were hateful to him. So, of course, now he's lived his whole life and wanted nothing to do with God. I'm going to tell you, that's not the God that I'm preaching and telling you about here today. The Bible says he's the opposite. He is a sweet. He's kind. He's loving. He's gentle, even though many times we don't really deserve gentleness. Even when we blow it, guess what? He's praying. Even when we say and do stupid stuff, and God the Father, the anger, Jesus saying, that, wait, just chill out. He's one of ours. Let me, let me work on him. That's God. Have you ever been so frustrated that you maybe didn't yell at God, but you yelled toward God? You told him what you thought of his timing. You told him what you thought of his decisions. I've been there this week. Thank God he sits at the right hand of the Father and he lives to make intercession for us. God is not a God that sends you to hell. The God that I serve is a God that did everything he possibly could to keep you out of hell. As a matter of fact, if you choose to go to hell, you got to step over Jesus. You got to step over the cross and you got to forcefully walk away from it because God did everything in his power to say, hey, I'll do whatever I got to do to keep you out of hell. Even right now, he is praying and making intercession for you and I. He's making intercession for your lost loved ones that have lost their mind. He's making intercession for those people that spit in his face even when we do. Man, I don't know about you, but who wouldn't want to live for a God like that? Who wouldn't want to go pray? It speaks of our devotional time. Who wouldn't want to pray to a God like that? Who wouldn't want to worship to a God like that? Who wouldn't want to open the Bible and say, God, that you're so awesome. Man, I want to hear what you have to say to me today. Praying and reading our Bible and going to church is not drudgery. It's like, wow, I get to go because of what Jesus did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, are you sacrificing time with this King Jesus for a cheap substitute? Yeah. 
What would you trade for time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What trade could possibly be worth that? So they not only gave him gold, which represented kingships, the most expensive metal of the day, frankincense, which was the most expensive fragrance of the day, representing his priesthood, but they also brought him myrrh. Everybody say myrrh. I'm not, not much longer. Myrrh represents that he was the perfect sacrifice and speaks of his humanity. Now, like frankincense, it's a production of Arabia. As a matter of fact, I won't show you all the scriptures, but it was an article of commerce. It was an ingredient in the holy ointment. It was used in perfume. It was mingled in drink. It was the most expensive herb of the day. Listen, these wise men not only brought themselves, they brought the most expensive metal of the day in gold, the most expensive fragrance of the day in frankincense, and the most expensive herb of the day in myrrh. You know what they said? Jesus, you get all of our best. The name myrrh symbolizes bitterness. Listen, you've got to catch this. It was given on account of great bitterness. He took the bitterness of our sin so we don't have to carry it anymore. Myrrh was used basically to embalm the dead. John 19, 39, they used myrrh in the preparation of Jesus' body. Now, won't that be a good baby, a baby shower gift for you? You have a baby, you're excited, you open this gift, there's some pampers. You open this gift and there's some bottles and some formula. You open this one, it's a car seat. You open the next one, it's formaldehyde. That's basically what they gave Joseph and Mary. Here's some formaldehyde, you know why? Because he's going to die. Boy, don't I feel good about my child. It's prophetic and it shows it came and what he came to do. Because listen, you cannot have Christmas without a cross. This Christmas season, you've got to remember it. He was the perfect sacrifice and it speaks of his future sufferings. Look at these scriptures real quick. Hebrews 10.10. And by the will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 5, 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 5, 17, for if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Man, that is how good Christmas is. We should rejoice with Christmas cheer because Jesus came to the earth almost 2,000 years ago and died so we could be saved. That's what Christmas is all about. And I want you to notice something. What happened to those gifts? What did Joseph and Mary do with the gold, frankincense, and myrrh? I mean, did they go get the latest model chariot and three horses and ride their way back to Nazareth? No. The Bible says, if you keep reading, that God sent them to Egypt. Now, that doesn't sound like much to you, but you're Jewish people born in Israel, and you speak Hebrew, and God says, take the baby and go to Egypt where you don't speak their language, you don't understand their culture, and you have no way to work. Have fun. 
You know what the goal of frankincense and myrrh did? It paid their way to get there, and it sustained them while they were there. I'm going somewhere just one more minute. Listen. They were poor. That gold was valuable to finance the trip all the way. Frankincense and myrrh was exceptionally valuable to the Egyptians who loved the spices of Arabia. So they had all this money in these most expensive things of their day to pay their way until God sent them back home. What's the point in this? These treasures would pay for their journey to Egypt and sustain them to Egypt. What's the point in all this? Listen, God always provides for where he tells you to go. Listen to me. God always provides where he tells you to go and for you to do what he says do. When God presents to us our Rehoboth, and we will all know it, I'm convinced it'll be 100%. We will know that is where we're supposed to be. We will not have to worry one second because God will provide the finances and the resources. God's will, God's bill. God said, go to Egypt. By the way, I'm going to send you what you need. And if I know God, it got down to the last. And then God said, well, you're out, so go back home. Because the guy who wants the baby dead, he's dead. Read your Bible. That's what it says. Listen, Matthew 2, 12. I'm going to close with this. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Everybody say way. I pointed this out last week. Let me hit it again. In other parts of the Gospel of Matthew, anytime Matthew uses the word way, he is referring to a path in life, not a road, physical road you walk on. What he was saying, this is why I believe you're going to see the Magi in heaven. He said they presented themselves, they gave themselves, they gave the greatest metal, fragrance, and herb of the day, which is basically the greatest things they had in those days. 